You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week, we wrap up our study of the book of Malachi we're calling Heavy Words from a Loving Father. With this week's message, here's Senior Pastor Lance Bourgeois. One of the social media platforms that's out there is called Twitter. You may or may not be familiar with it. How Twitter is, is you can follow people that you're interested in what they might say or think or what thoughts they would share. But one of the things about Twitter is I can pick the people I want to follow or whatever and read their thoughts. But if somebody that I am following can share something that somebody else uh, shares that I may have never heard of, and that happened to me a couple of weeks ago, there was a guy named uh, Teddy Metrosilus. No idea who this guy is. But as I read his words, they kind of grabbed me. Part of his story was he shared that a couple of, uh, excuse me, that last year he spent three days doing wilderness training with the Navy SEALs. So I got to tell you, as a guy who never served in the military, I have the utmost respect for those who do. So men and women in this church that are watching online, our leadership team is grateful for you and your service. Uh, And we stand in awe of the sacrifices you make. We're really grateful for you. As I was reading what he shared, he shared something that came up during that three-day wilderness training. He wrote this, Navy SEALs have a saying, and you may find it helpful. When something is really, really hard, they look at each other and say, full benefit. It's an instant mindset shift. Hiking and it starts pouring rain. Driving and your car breaks down, working on a project and lose a draft, full benefit. The lesson, adversity is an opportunity. The message is simple. Every adversity is an opportunity to grow, to learn, to evolve, to get stronger, to become better. These are the moments that forge us if we let them. The next time you're facing something hard, welcome it. Work through the process, learn the lessons, reap the full benefit. Now, I need to hear those words. I will be the first to admit, if my car breaks down, I rarely think full benefit. Ellen and I were driving a trailer of furniture back uh, last week uh, from Louisiana, and we got about three miles south of the Jolly Truck Stop, and we blew all the tread off of a tire of a trailer. I did not think full benefit. Many things went through my mind. That was not one of them. I need these words in my life. Maybe you do too. We've been in this little book of Malachi. I call it little only because it's short, certainly not little in worth or value. But we spent the last four weeks, and today is week five, talking through what God has for us in this book. Now, as he's confronted us, full benefit, he's confronted us with some things we need to hear. And sometimes we don't like hearing those kind of things, but full benefit, an opportunity for us to grow, to learn, to evolve, to become stronger. So he started off by saying, God says, I love you, and we would have the audacity to say, oh, you think you love us? So he talked us through that, and then he talked us through what it looks like for us to worship, to give him the honor that he's rightfully due. And then he talked to us about how we value marriage and do we value marriage the way he values marriage. And then he talked with us about how do we feel about justice? How do we feel about the way that people are treated in this world? And he's got two more lessons for us today. 
If you've got a copy of Scripture, whether it's digital or a hard copy, I invite you to open up to Malachi chapter 3. It's the last book of the Old Testament. You'll find it right before Matthew, if you can make your way to Matthew. If you don't have a copy of Scripture and you want one, we've got them available on carts in the back of the room, and we'd encourage you to grab one. Heavy words from a loving father. That's been the title of our series, and we have more heavy words today. Malachi chapter 3, we're starting in verse 16. Malachi writes this, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention, and he heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. This is a time of encouragement. If you're reading this and you've been along in our study, you might think those first words are interesting. Then those who feared the Lord, we haven't heard about those people yet in this book. Everything we've heard in this book has been, you, you question if I love you, you don't worship me, you don't value the things I value, you're not valuing other people. And so it's hard for us to know exactly who this audience is. Is this a subset of who he's confronted and they've already started responding? Maybe they've started responding. Maybe it's a group of people who've remained faithful even though the crowd didn't. I will encourage you that in a faithless world, God always has a group who remain faithful to him. That regardless of what the culture is doing, they stand firm on who God is and what he does. And so that's where we begin this. Then those who fear the Lord, they spoke with one another. They started sharing with one another. This is who God is. This is where we see him at work. This is what he's doing. Do you see it? And they started having those conversations with each other. And the Lord paid attention. The Lord heard. Let me tell you, the Lord knows who walks with him. The Lord knows who honors him. The Lord is well aware of who is walking with him in the midst of a faithless generation. He knows, and his response is, he pays attention to them. He regards their heart and their words. He leans in to engage them. He's well aware of what's going on. In this book of remembrance, was written before him, those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. So often when you and I think, hey, do you remember? We're like, oh yeah, I forgot. I forgot to put that on my calendar. I remember we've got to do that. But when we read about remembrance with the Lord, it's not just remembrance. It's not just a cognitive thing. There's a sense that it moves him to action like, oh yes, those are my people. I made a covenant with them. I will act on their behalf. I'm engaged with them. I know them. See, remembrance, remembering has to do with action and moving forward. Who was it? Those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. And we've talked about this slide a couple of times in this series, is that if you're going to fear him, it doesn't mean that we cower in fear. It means that we have this reverential awe. We understand who he is, and we certainly understand who he is in comparison to who we are. It's in that moment that we take a step back and we consider the name of the Lord and say, oh yeah, he's the one who's eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. He's holy and completely set apart. He's unique. He is significant in his uniqueness. There's no one like him. 
He doesn't change. That's immutability. He's never changed. He's always been exactly who he is today, and he will be tomorrow who he is today into all of eternity. He never changes. He is all-powerful. He is always with you. You have never been alone in your life. He walks by your side. He's attentive to you. He cares about you because he's omniscient. He knows all things. He has never learned a thing. He's always known it all. He has never been shocked or surprised. That's our God. And on top of all of that, he's sovereign. And he's at work for you. These people who fear the Lord, they're speaking with one another. Hey, how's this going to go down? I don't know, but aren't we glad that our God is the one who's eternal, he's set apart, he doesn't change, he's the perfection of love, he's all-powerful, he's by our side, he knows what we're going through, he always knows what we're going through, he knows what's going to come, and he is sovereign. And they can sit around and they can talk about it, and the Lord listens in and pays attention like, those are my people. And he said, so all of a sudden we have the chance to worship him and share this definition a couple of weeks ago. The celebratory response that believers who know who God is, that understands that God's at work on your behalf to fulfill every promise he has ever made you. Can he? Well, yeah, he's omnipotent. Does he know? Yes, he's omniscient. He's all-knowing. Is it good? He's the perfection of love. You bet it's good. That's why we can celebrate this covenantal relationship, this new covenant that we celebrated here at the table today because we live in fellowship with this God who is holy and set apart and he is sovereign. Nobody or nothing can thwart his plan. And so when we come together, we have the chance to esteem his name and see who he is. And look at what the Lord says, verse 17. They shall be mine says the Lord of hosts. They shall be mine. Imagine I bring my son and my daughter up here and I'm so proud of them and I'm beaming with them and it may not be that I always enjoy every decision they make, but I love them and I'm proud of them. And I would pull them up here and say, this is my son, this is my daughter. And that's what we see here. They shall be mine. These people who fear him and esteem him, these are mine. Such pride as a father there and make up my treasured possession. Look, in this world, I don't know if you've ever felt worth or valued. I don't know if you felt worth or valued in your home, in your workplace, wherever you go. But know this, you are incredibly valued by our Lord. He says you are his treasure. And he is so He is so in love with us as a people of his children. They shall be mine, and I will spare them as a man spares his son. Now, so much of what we've read in this book has been about judgment. And judgment is real, and it's coming. But let's be really clear. This is from our friend, Dr. Ron Allen, who's been at our church any number of times. Judgment is God's strange work. Mercy is his ordinary task. The phraseology carries this idea, is that God does not routinely hand out judgment. That's not who he is. You know what he routinely does? He routinely extends mercy. These people who he's talking about here, who fear the Lord and spoke with one another and esteem his name, it doesn't mean that they're without sin. 
It doesn't mean that they've never made mistakes. It doesn't mean that they haven't had a period or decisions of rebellion. God's ordinary task is mercy, that he offers that to us and he brings us back in. But there is a reality to the strange work of God. Strange meaning it's out of the ordinary and it's judgment. And we're going to hear about it. He picks up that idea right here in verse 18. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve God. In this world, our eyes can fool us. I'm sure that at some point in your life, you have had somebody do something to you and you thought, I've been duped. I had no idea this is who they were or this is what they thought or this is how they were going to act. In this world of Photoshop, AI, and everything else in the world, it's hard for us to trust. And on this day, as he's telling us, is there are people in this world that are righteous and there are people who are unrighteous. And in this world, we may be fooled. We may be fooled by who falls into what camp. And we live in these days. And God is saying in this day, when this moves forward, the idea that is going to be clear, righteous, unrighteous. We live like this and we're trying to discern who's righteous, who's unrighteous. By the way, they act, by the way, they speak. Do they esteem the Lord's name and so forth? And yet the Lord is setting us up for judgment that's coming. Then once more, we're going to see this distinction between the righteous and the unrighteous. Those who honor God, those who don't honor God. Honor God. Those who honor him in what they do, those who dishonor him in what they do. Now, let's be really clear. Because this section of Malachi is intended, I think, to say, take courage. Take courage. I see you. In the midst of a faithless generation, I see you remembering me. I see you calling out to me. I see you honoring my name. And on this day when judgment comes, and you may think nobody can tell who's righteous and unrighteous, I know. And I'm going to make it really, really clear. Because he's about to head into talking about what that judgment, that strange work of God is going to look like. But I think it's really important that we understand the heart of God. So if you would allow me, let's take a step back. God introduces himself in this Exodus 34 passage to give us an understanding of who he is. This is the Lord going before Moses when he passed before him and he proclaims, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Now, I want you to think with me about those words and that description of who our God is. This is the way God describes himself. Now, I want you to think with me about the ways that you may have pictured God or the ways that you were taught about God. Because if you were not taught correctly about God, you may end up with an antithesis to this verse as what your understanding of who he is. This verse is repeated over and over in some form or fashion throughout the Old Testament. Now, it's so interesting to me that Jonah, that if you know the story of Jonah, we can tell Jonah as a children's story, right? God calls Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, I want you to preach the gospel. Jonah says, I don't want to go, swallowed by a fish. Then he's thrown up on the shore. He goes to Nineveh and you see this great response to the gospel. Here's the thing. As adults, let's be a little bit more honest about the story of Jonah. That God said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. And Jonah thought, no, they're terrible people. I mean, they're really bad people. 
They do all kind of evil things. I think Jonah was probably fearful for his life. And we said, I'm not going there. And then in the end, through the fish, everything else, he goes and there's a great response. And Jonah is mad. I mean, he is mad. How mad? We're going to look here in a second. But I want you to know that it's not just that God says that those things are true. Everybody knew this was true about him. How do we know? Look at Jonah's words. It displeased Jonah exceedingly. All these people in Nineveh responded, and he was angry. Jonah's mad that people responded to the goodness and the grace of God. And so he prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Let's just say Jonah started here uh, and Nineveh's here and Tarshish is here. I mean, he's going the exact opposite direction. This is why I'm so angry, because I knew, I knew you were a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. You know what Jonah attacks God with? I know you. You are gracious. You're merciful. You have a really long fuse. You don't get angry. Matter of fact, you give everybody your steadfast love and you relent from disaster. That's what I knew you were going to do, and that's why I didn't want to go. Therefore, a little dramatic, oh, Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. If you're going to extend grace to those people, you might as well just take me out. Now, isn't it interesting that of every attack that Jonah could hurl at God, he hurls at him the idea that you're gracious, you're slow to anger, you're merciful, you abound in love, and you're going to relent from bringing disaster. Do you see the hardness of his heart? That says, I just want you to take them out. I want you to hammer those Ninevites. Now, we see Paul carry some of these same things when he writes to Timothy. And we're okay with the beginning of it, right? I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in a high position. We're like, okay, I can pray for the leaders. I've got that. I can do that. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Okay, I mean, I get that. This is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Well, I mean, if this is what he wants. Who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Wait a minute, that's our God? He cares about everybody, even those people that have hurt me, even those people who are so rude and angry and hateful in this world, the abusers of this world. God's heart is that he is merciful. He abounds in steadfast love. He loves to draw people to himself. Matter of fact, Peter writes about it this way. The Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You and I are looking around like, come on, God, hurry this thing up. What's happened? Where are you? And God says, tap the brakes a little bit because I'm still bringing people to me. And the moment that I initiate this day that's coming is the time that the clock runs out of time. And I still want everybody to respond to me because what's going to happen, why I'm being patient is because Peter goes on to tell us, the day of the Lord will come like a thief. We can't prepare for it other than knowing it's imminent. It's going to happen at some point and we can't schedule it. We can't put it on a calendar. The heavens are going to pass away with a roar. I wonder how loud that will be. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. I think, what will that smell like? What will we hear? The earth and all the works that are done on it will be exposed. Yeah, because we're taking the righteous and the unrighteous and we're separating them. 
And this group over here is going to be saved. They're going to be with the Lord. And it's going to be great. But there is a very real reality of what else is going on in this world. And it's painful if we have a heart. And the Lord says, it's incredibly painful for me because we see that come back up in Jonah. The Lord looks at him because God caused this plant to grow up over Jonah. It gave him shade and it was dead the next night. And all of a sudden, he's now mad about the plant. And God looks at Jonah and said, you pity the plant. You didn't labor for it. You didn't make it grow. It came up in one night. It perished in one night. And then here's his message. And Jonah, shouldn't I pity Nineveh? That great city that has more than 120,000 image bearers, people who bear my image, they don't know the right hand from their left hand. They are so lost, they don't have a clue, much less their cattle. They don't have a clue. I'm not being slow, Jonah. I'm being patient because I want all these people to respond to me because I'm a God who abounds in steadfast love. I love to extend mercy. That's what I do. That's who I am. And I know what's going on. I'm not clueless. I'm omniscient. Esteem my name and get to know me. See, all of a sudden, we walk into this and we say, okay, what's coming? Chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day is coming. This is a certainty. This is a reality. This is out there. This isn't it might happen. This is definitely going to happen. Burning like an oven when all of the arrogant and all of the evildoers will be stubble. Arrogant, how? Arrogant, God, I reject you. God, I don't need you. God, I don't recognize you for who you are. God, I have no grasp to understand that you're in a position that I'm not in. Matter of fact, I feel like I'm equal to you. Maybe I feel like I'm greater than you. The arrogance to say, I have no need of God, which leads to what? Evildoers. Evildoers. I don't care what you say. I will be the ultimate captain of my life. I will do what I think. I will do what I feel. And I'm not going to submit myself to you or anybody else in any other way. I'm the, I'm the captain of my life. By the way, it doesn't mean that you're just a really bad person either. It's anybody who doesn't honor and esteem the name of the Lord for who he is and puts themselves in a position where they see themselves as either equal to God or greater than God. It doesn't matter. The words are strong. We'll be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. You hear how ugly that is? And yet, what we're left with is this idea that, is this new? Well, no. The imagery has been there. Isaiah, for behold, the Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger and fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. And we can look around and say, whoa, I thought he's the perfection of love. He is. He's simultaneously the perfection of justice and righteousness. And the moment we divorce some of his perfections from others, we will end up with a view of God that's not consistent. They all are who he is. Goes on to say, for by fire will the Lord enter into judgment, and by a sword with all flesh, and those slain by the Lord shall be many. That's heavy. Zephaniah, neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them on that day of wrath from the Lord. You can set up whatever financial stockpile you have. 
it's no match for the Lord. It's no match for him. You can accumulate whatever tower you think you can build with whatever resources you have. It cannot withstand what the Lord will bring that day. In the fire of his jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed for a full and sudden end. He will make of all the inhabitants of the earth. Zephaniah goes on, therefore wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey. And yet in those words, I feel like, oh my gosh, the prey. These aren't just heartless evildoers that do the wicked things of the world. These are our people in our families, our coworkers, the people that we socialize with. These are anybody that doesn't know the Lord. That's why this is so hard. Zephaniah 3, for my decision to gather the nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger, for in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. See how heavy that is? These are people we know and love. And we can sit around and say, Lord, come on, you're moving kind of slow. And the Lord said, no, 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 I'm not slow. I'm being patient because every moment I wait has a chance for somebody else to come to faith and get to know me. And then their story becomes different. The moment they come to know me, everything changes for them. And we're getting here impatient, like, I don't want to go to Nineveh. I'm scared of Nineveh. And God says, go to Nineveh. There's 120,000 people there who don't know who I am yet. And they're made in my image, and I, I love them. And I want a relationship with them. Now, when we talk about the day of the Lord, which is what we're talking about here, We hear this, and Dr. Alan Ross, I think, helps us with some words here. The day of the Lord can refer to any divine intervention to judge and to bless. Anytime God steps into the regular account of humanity, it's called the day of the Lord. Sometimes it's to bring judgment. Sometimes it's to be blessing. Sometimes it's both together. But what we're talking about here is the great day of the Lord. It's the last intervention, and it begins with the second coming, when the Lord will come to judge the world by fire and establish a universal reign of righteousness. This day includes judgment on the wicked and blessing for the righteous. Those two things are going to go together on that day. Therefore, it is not only the second coming when the Lord will judge the earth, but the subsequent reign of Christ and the restoration of blessing to the earth as well. What's that mean? Timeline. We're in the church age now. Incarnation is what we celebrate at Christmas. Ascension is what we celebrate at Easter and just after Easter. The next timeline on the course of eschatology, as we understand it, is the rapture. That's going to come like a thief in the night. We don't, we don't know when that's coming. It could be now. It could be next week. We don't know. There's nothing that has to happen to inaugurate that moment. But as soon as that happens, that enters us into a new era of time where we've got the tribulation, that seven-year time period with the return of Christ. When Christ returns, we have what's called the Battle of Armageddon. You may have heard that term. That's what we're talking about here is the battle of Armageddon, what's going to take place because it's going to initiate two periods of time, the millennium and the eternal state. Now, as I tell you this, I will tell you that the sermon series that we begin next week is going to take the next four weeks talking through all of those terms I just said. So I know I went through that quickly, but we're going to spend the next four weeks up here preaching that. And then Come fall, we're going to do an 11-week study with Gary Rowe um, on Wednesday nights and invite you. You can dig in as deeply as you want to dig in. But suffice it to say, if we're going to separate the righteous from the unrighteous and everybody's going to know which one every person is in, it's because, as Jesus said, there is a reality. Is there's, only two, there's only two things that are going to happen. The righteous are going to go into eternal life and the, the wicked, the evildoers, the arrogant are going to go into eternal punishment. There's no in-between. It's one or the other. 
which is why this is so stark in what it's offering us. Look at verse 2. But, but, as long as, long as we just read 4.1, all of a sudden uh, met with grief and fear and anxiety and pain, but for you who fear my name, Remember these people? These people are like, I don't know how does it work. We're in the midst of a faithless generation. If I was with anybody else, I don't know what I would do. But you know what? Praise God that I'm with the one who's eternal. He's holy and set apart. He doesn't change. He's the perfection of love. He's all powerful. He's always by my side. He knows everything about me and he's sovereign. Okay, so for those of us who that's true, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings and you shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. The son of righteousness, that phrase appears exactly one time in Scripture, and it's right here. We used to go to church, and our church sat on a lake, and in the spring when finally the sun was coming up and it was warm out there, and we'd drive alongside that lake to get to church, you'd see these logs and trees that had fallen into the lake, and they'd be up there, and you'd see a whole row of turtles on there, and they're sticking out their neck, enjoying the sun. Warmth is here. That's the picture. The son of righteousness is going to rise. You can't stop it. It's going to happen. In the aftermath of all that destruction, those of us who are in the book of remembrance, we're going to get to come out. We're going to get to climb up on that log, feel the warmth of the sun, and put our neck out there. And it's completely safe. That's what we're talking about. There's healing in its wings. Let me tell you, the idea of the Lord as a healer goes all the way back to Exodus. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule. And there he tested them saying, if you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God and do that which is right in his eyes and give ear to his commandments and keep all of his statutes, if you follow this, if you esteem him for who he is, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians for I am the Lord your healer. I'm the one who brings healing to you. Paul carries the same thing in Ephesians 4. He gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, okay? People who are going to teach what God has said. The people that teach this. For what? For the equipping of the saints. That's believers. That's you. That's me. That's everybody that honors and esteems the Lord's name. Here's the interesting thing about the word equip. Whatever definition you put to it, Really, in the Greek, it carries two different ideas. One was a medical context where you have a broken bone that's offset, and you reset that bone so it becomes whole and healthy again. The second way the word was used was to mend something, like a fishing net that had a hole. And that hole rendered the net useless. All of a sudden, you mend the net. The net can be used for what it was originally intended to be used for. That's healing. And so in this day, the sun comes up, we climb up on the log, we stick our neck out to the sun, we get our bones broke that have been broken, we get them set, we get fixed, the holes in us get mended, and we are capable to do and be that person that God called us and created us to be. What a day. And then he says, we're going to leap like calves. Now, I got to tell you, I'm a city boy, and I've been called that, and I don't take that as an insult. I wear it with pride. But as we were talking about this, Amy Berry said, have you seen the video of calves leaping? I'm like, no, I've not seen videos of calves leaping, seriously. And so all of a sudden in that, I'm like, well, I guess I'll go watch it. Let me tell you, I fell in love with calves leaping. 
And so if you're like me and don't know what they look like, I'm going to show what they look like. But I'm so glad that I befriended a gentleman in England who we met, messaged back and forth because he shot video of his calf sleeping. And I bought a video from him this week so I could share it with you. And these are calves that in the spring have never touched grass before. They've been inside their whole lives. What does it look like? It looks like this. And these, these have never actually been outside before because they're so young. They've been reared in sheds until now, so they're actually not used to being on the grassland. Unlike the dairy cows. There we go, there's one skipping away. Here we go. Okay, church, let me ask you. We've lived in a world surrounded by evil, every ism, ageism, sexism, uh, racism. We live in a world of abusers and traffickers and murderers and all the stuff. And we pray for God. God, bring justice. Do something about it. And God says, I'm going to. But I'm not slow. Just slow down because I'm being patient because people are coming to me. And then I am going to judge. Because if I don't bring judgment, then I'm not, the God of, uh, I'm not the God who brings justice and righteousness. So I have to act. I have to act. Otherwise, your faithfulness doesn't matter. But your faithfulness does matter. I've taken note of it. You're in my book of remembrance. I know you. I'm attentive to you. And so when I bring judgment, I'm going to bring judgment. And all of a sudden, everything that we've prayed for God to deal with, he's going to deal with. He's going to deal with it. And on that day, you realize, much like those calves who have never been outside, they've never been on grass, you and I, the gates are going to open. We're going to walk out there into an experience of a world we've never known. There's no evil. There's no wickedness. There's nobody in this world that is not practicing righteousness. And we're going to be like that turtle up on that log with no fear. Fully healed. Every broken bone reset. All of our nets completely mended. And we're going to come out of there, and it's going to be a little timid, like, really, this is our world now? And initially, there was just one brave calf that was like, I'll leap. And then all the other ones started leaping. What a moment that's going to be for all of us. And you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I act as the Lord of hosts. Yeah, because of the Lord and who he is. Because of the Lord and who he is. So he tells us in verse 4, remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and the rules that I commanded him in Horeb at Israel. It sounds a whole lot like what Paul tells Timothy. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. That the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Moses said at the end, the last book he wrote, 14 times he tells Israel, remember it's not just cognitive. Remember and act the same way God does. 14 times. Remember. 
And now all of a sudden, we got Malachi saying, remember, the last thing he puts in his book, the thing God closes the Old Testament with, remember. Paul picks up the same idea when he says all scriptures God breathed. This matters. Remember. Matter of fact, allow it to teach you what you don't know. Let it, allow it to reprove you. Where you're wrong, let the scriptures tell you that you're wrong. And where you need to be corrected to, be corrected to this path and be trained. Because as we lean into this, this all matters. I love this quote by Spurgeon. The fact is we sometimes read scripture thinking what it ought to say rather than what it does say. Because you and I lean into it, we add all kinds of stuff. Let me add two words to it that maybe make it a little more clear. The fact is we sometimes read scripture thinking of what we think it ought to say rather than what it does say. Because as we lean into this, we can say, well, Lord, I think you should deal with the wicked this way. I think you should deal with those who ignore you this way. God says this is the way I'm going to do it. We don't get to sit in judgment of what God wrote or recorded for us. It is what it is. He's God and I'm not. And so we listen to him and we abide by what he says. And then we get this idea that how do we respond and how do we wait? I love these words. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many on the cross, will appear a second time. Not to deal with the sin. That was dealt with on the cross. But to save those who are eagerly awaiting. That's for us. He's coming back, and he's going to make everything right. And you're going to climb up on that log, and you're going to stick out your neck. You're going to be healed. You're going to go out of that stall leaping like a calf, which is the greatest thing ever because of who he is and what he's done. So he offers us some words here. Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Is it the real Elijah? Some thought it appeared to John the Baptist, and maybe it did. But Jesus said, I tell you that Elijah's already come. So that would point to somebody before him. Um, They didn't recognize him, but they did to him whatever they pleased. So probably not John the Baptist. So it appears that he's just saying, you know what? There's going to be other witnesses who in the form of Elijah come and draw people back to myself. The two witnesses of Revelation, maybe. We don't know. But God's always at work to bring people back to him. He said, I'll turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. You know what? Looking back, what we see is God didn't speak for 400 years between Malachi and Matthew. 400 years. If a generation is measured in 20 years, that's 20 generations that didn't see God at work or hear from him anew. It's a tough place to be. So full benefit. Full benefit. What do you need to hear out of this? Is it the way you view the way God loves you? Is it the way that you view uh, worship or marriage or uh, justice or the way that we remember him, take comfort? What do you need to hear from that? Because lean into that. I think Charlie Dyer, Dr. Charles Dyer, offers us something to wrap up the book of Malachi, and I couldn't say any better he did. How can an individual remain faithful to God in a faithless world? Malachi gives us three tips, okay? Three tips seen through this book. Number one, vow to be faithful to God, even if those around you are not. Consider writing your own scroll of remembrance. Make a vow. God, I'm with you. I don't care where the generation goes. I'm with you because I know who you are and I will remember and act in accordance with who you are. We talked about six-word memoirs. What would be yours to write down to keep you on track? Number two, surround yourself with a group of like-minded individuals for encouragement. This group, the first verse we looked at this morning was 316. They talk with each other about who God is and how he was at work. 
as they encourage each other to remain faithful. That's that Hebrews passage, do not forsake the gathering together. If you say, I don't, I don't know anybody like-minded. Man, we'd love to connect you to an adult Bible fellowship. We'd love to connect you to a community group. We'd love to connect you to a Wednesday night study, a men's study, a women's study. We, we got lots of things. If you're saying, I don't have anything, then please come grab somebody with a lanyard. We'd love to talk with you. And then third, remember that God's day of reckoning will come someday. So keep a long-range perspective. It all matters. It all matters. So church, full benefit. Every adversity is an opportunity to grow, learn, evolve, or to get stronger. Every one of them. Take comfort, though. The Lord is attentive. He knows. He's at work. He's in control. And he will bring all of this to fruition. And one day, one day on that day, we're on top of the log in the sun, whole, healthy, mended, leaping around. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. Stream services live online at gracechurch.com or subscribe to our podcast published on Apple, Google, and Spotify. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.